This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good Thursday morning to you. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. We appreciate you being with us here on MPB Think Radio. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. When you go to mpbonline.org forward slash season pass, there's a purple button there that says subscribe. If you click on that, it'll get you started to have uh, have season pass at your fingertips whenever you'd like. If you'd like that kind of thing. Uh, on today's show, we'll speak with Mid-South Ice House owner Al Austin about ice skating, hockey, and curling in uh, Mississippi. And we'll also speak with Kendall Terrell. She's the kicker. She is the kicker for the Hattiesburg High School football team. And she recently made some history when she scored points, the first points by a female in an MHSAA state football championship game. But first, we're glad to have on the show President Ellis Hill from the Great Southern Golf Club in Gulfport. Uh, Good morning, Ellis. How's it going? It's going fine. Thank you very much. We appreciate you having us. Absolutely. I uh, I appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, the When Liz uh, talked to me about this story, I, I am not an avid golfer. Um, I am terrible. I'm good at breaking clubs and stuff. Uh, that's about – but she said Great Southern, and that's actually one of um, the few noted golf courses that I actually know and remember playing, and it's because of, you know, where it sits. It's right by Beach Boulevard there. The the view is uh, amazing, and so you get this – the, the Gulf Breeze is right there. It's an amazing – it's an amazing place and experience, at least it was for for me anyway, but – with that in mind, if no one's seen the course, uh, describe it for our listeners. Sure. Well, you're exactly right in your description. In fact, I'm sitting here now, and I'm looking out at the gulf. Uh, the water is glistening in the sunlight. It's just spectacular. There's uh, you know, a beautiful green on uh, number four that I'm looking at. And it is right on Beach Drive, as you say. And then uh, when you look at where it is in respect to Blexi Golf Board, it's, uh, it's about 500 yards from Debeez Road, which is the dividing line between Gulfport and Biloxi, so it's almost in just in the middle of where um, the, the two city limits are. Yeah, and uh, so you know we have folks uh, come from all different directions, of course, and a lot of tourists that will come down and, and play the course as well. It has a, a real rich history, as you may know. And you know, you mentioned that you're not a great golfer, uh, <laughs> nor am I. But I, I love the game, but you know, my wife says, "How can you love something that you're uh, you know so much that you're not very good at?" And I thought, well, you know, it's just, just the way it is. So. Uh, but the thing about our course is that uh, it is a course that is fun to play for people that are not great golfers because they have what we call bailout areas so that you can take a safer approach and get, say, a bogey on a hole. But yet if a good golfer wants to make pars on all the holes, then he's got to go for it and make a better shot uh, to get those pars. So it makes it fun for good golfers and for those are just average golfers or actually not very good golfers. <laughs> like me. Uh, I wouldn't even, <laughs> well, I would, even say that. <laughs> even saying not just not good golfer is giving me in my golf game way too much credit, even still. So how long, how long have you been involved with the course and how did you uh, get involved with uh, Great Southern? I've been uh, associated with the course since uh, the spring of 2013 
and I basically moved into the neighborhood, and uh, the course is uh, actually in my backyard, and, and a neighbor invited me to go play, and I played and, and enjoyed the course. And actually, I, I uh, played it before, back when it was the, the sea course when the Broadwater Hotel owned it. And uh, as you may know, in 93, it was uh, sold back to a group of uh, uh, former members, and they renamed it uh, or went back to the Great Southern Golf Club name. But uh, So anyway, I moved in the neighborhood, invited me to play, and then uh, one thing led to another. I bought some stock, and then they um, asked me to be on the board, which I did, and then uh, became the treasurer, and then I became the president uh, not quite two, two years ago. Very interesting. Uh, as a course, and you went into this a little bit, uh, if, if you want to um, talk about that a little bit more, what are some of the idiosyncrasies uh, of the 18 holes there? Well, obviously the spectacular view. That's uh, one of the things. Uh, the other is that uh, it is typically, in the summertime, five, even sometimes 10 degrees cooler right here than it is on other courses around because we have the breeze that blows in. And it's, you know, it's constant. It's, uh, sometimes it's um, what you might call a one-club wind, but a lot of times uh, it's just a cool <laughs> breeze that, uh, that uh, you know, blows on you, and, you, and it just uh, makes it uh, a lot more playable in the summer. We also find that, oddly enough, I, some of the rain a lot of times will bypass us. There'll be a, a rainstorm or shower that will be coming, and we're sitting here, and you can see, you know, half a mile away it's, it's raining or even less, and... And here it's not, and I think it has something to do with the way the barrier islands uh, maybe push the weather pattern around. And it just it just happens that we often don't get the rain. And, How about that? And if we do, then the course drains very quickly because we have a sandy-based soil being this close to the beach. So you can get out there and ride a golf cart on our course, um, you know, on the same day, whereas with other courses you may not be able to do that That's for fascinating. a day or two. Oh, wow, that's that's absolutely fascinating. I had not thought about that, but that's very, very interesting. So tell us about, um, I, I know you guys have some youth and senior programs and a little bit about how Great Southern is involved in the community. Yes, yes, that's right. So the high school team practice here, and uh, so you see a lot of youth out here uh, you know, during the golf season uh, in school. And we also have um, some tournaments for younger children that are, uh, part of the U.S. Kids program, and we've had, um, I think we've had two this year so far. We had one just in uh, November, and they had a great time out here. It's so much fun to see these uh, these little ones, you know, starting at like five or six and had these short little clubs and then, you know, going on up to uh, the early teens. Uh, and, and this is a, a great course for them as well uh, because what we allow them to do, of course, is just to uh, put special tees up for the, uh, for the youth, and the parents can go around and watch them, uh, you know, ride the carts and uh, watch your kids play. And, and it's a lot of fun. We, we had, uh, I don't think we probably had a, about 100 uh, here at the last tournament as part of that U.S. Kids organization. All right. We're speaking uh, with uh, Ellis Hill. He's the president of the Great Southern Golf Club in Gulfport. So the future of, uh, of the club it's in a very interesting position right now. And as you mentioned, it's been sold a couple of times before and, and, and the, the name has changed a couple of times, but, but moving forward, uh, the, the, the shareholders, I guess, the stockholders in the club have a decision to make. It's an important one and a big one. If you could maybe, uh, give us a little bit of background about how, uh, you and the club, uh, got to the position, uh, to, to entertain ideas about the future of the club and, and, and the decision that they have to make coming up. Sure. So uh, it is true that there was an offer made 
to purchase a club, and um, I believe that that buyer had in mind to uh, develop this as residential property. But, um, but since we had a stockholders meeting and then there was a decision to defer um, the actual decision on the offer, um, that uh, that particular company has uh, withdrawn that offer, and so we are entertaining some other offers. Uh, actually, two groups of investors that I've been talking with that want to keep this a golf course. So we're very excited about that, and I hope that in the January timeframe that I'll have uh, you know a hard offer that we can present to the stockholders and then let them uh, make a decision on that. But uh, it just sounds very exciting, and uh, we're we're looking forward to getting that and. And, you know, uh, and I'll tell you, we're not uh, giving up. We're doing everything we can to keep this uh, an 18-hole golf course. Uh, you know, we just bought or leased a new cart fleet, and certainly we wouldn't do that if we were giving up. And, you know, uh, we also oversee the green, so they're a, a deep, rich green here in the wintertime, so that looks good. And they're playing well, too. The greens are playing well, so yeah. we're happy about that. So we're uh, we're working hard to keep this uh, the community asset that it is. I mean, so many people tell me, Golly, you know, I started playing on that course. I used to play with my dad and my mom, or, you know, Sunday afternoons was our time, and and uh, just such a special place for so many people that we, we really want to work hard to uh, to keep it that way. And then there are other people, like uh, we had the Ottoman Society out here, for example. We have a lot of uh, birds, and, you know, we I saw a hawk the other day, uh, you know, chasing uh, a little animal, and uh, we have <laughs> the herons and, uh, you know, just a lot of different uh birds and fauna out here so they've enjoyed coming out here the Auburn society has uh, in the past all right if folks want to get involved in in your programs or if they just want to learn more about the course and its history or or book a tea time or anything like that how do they get involved and how do they get uh, in contact sure they can just go uh, to the website uh, uh great uh, you know what i should know this off the top of my head uh, <laughs> great southern golf dot uh, com i believe it is yeah and uh, and then our phone number is listed there, and you can call the uh, 1908 Bar and Grill, which is our restaurant, or the Pro Shop, uh, either one. And uh, uh, you know we'd be happy to uh, give you a gift certificates. You know, with Christmas right here on top of us, uh, this might be a last minute gift that you might oh, yeah. get a gift certificate for the uh, from the Pro Shop, and for golf balls, shirts, hats, gloves, that kind of thing. And also uh, for playing golf, we have uh, some very special uh, promotions on playing golf. We have a 10-play card for $275, for example, so that brings your average cost of golf down you know, to $27. Uh, and our current price is uh, $43 on a weekday. Very good. Ellis Hill, President, Great Southern Golf Club in Gulfport. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate the invitation to uh, join you on the on the air. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, good stuff. Uh, and, again, it's an absolutely gorgeous uh, place to play golf in the, in the weather. Man, it is hard to get the weather messed up there, as, as, as he mentioned, a little bit of the science behind it, which is really intriguing. I had not thought about the fact that the way the barrier islands lay out and they push the, you know, push rainstorms around it, you still get that gulf breeze. And I think it's magic. It's, it could be magic. It could be magic. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I hope that they can uh, maintain the course there. It's 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 a part of Gulf Coast history. And uh, with all the different things that have happened to the Gulf Coast, a lot of times it's very hard to keep, uh, you know, historic things going down there that reach back into the, uh, the area's past. So hopefully that keeps going. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to speak about ice hockey, curling, skating, and more here in the state of Mississippi. Al Austin, Mid-South Ice House owner. When we come back, this is... Season Pass on Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPP's Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we'll speak with Kendall Terrell. She is the kicker for the Hattiesburg High School Tigers, and uh, she um, made a little bit of history, becoming the first female to score points in an MHSAA state football championship game this year. We'll talk to her a little bit later on in the program. But first, I'd like to welcome to the show Al Austin. He's one of the owners of the Mid-South Ice House in Olive Branch, DeSoto County. Uh, Good morning, Al. Thanks for your time this morning. How are you? Good morning, Jay. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, Ice House in Mississippi. uh, In the past, I've heard, and this, this goes back to like the 1990s and stuff like that. Oh, man, we can't have stuff like that down here. It's so difficult to keep the ice cold enough and all this kind of stuff, but I'm sure technology has caught up with that. But how much of a labor of love is this for you? Oh, it, it is definitely a labor of love, either the, either that or, or teams of psychiatrists are trying to still <laughs> figure out why why I did this. But, but my partner and I, Jack Rogers, started this, uh, uh, it'll be, well, six and a half years ago is when we opened. And uh, we opened with a with a bang with a, an old Miss University of Memphis uh, a hockey game. So uh, uh, most people don't realize that Ole Miss has a very vibrant uh, uh, hockey um, team that is a club team that they play all the other SEC schools. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. But but yeah, it's uh, it is a challenge. It is a, a a huge challenge when it's 100 degrees outside to keep that uh, <laughs> temperature inside that rink and the humidity down. But uh, but 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 it is designed correctly and and uh, but it it does uh, always remind people this time of the year. You know, please come back and see us in July when it's 100 degrees and help me, you know, you know, help me pay my utility bill. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, so what started uh, your love for uh, ice sports? Well, um, my dad was a hockey player and and my children, both my boys are are, are ice hockey players. And so they uh, they were just um you know, enamored with the sport. They played roller hockey when they were real young, and then we went on and played ice hockey. And um, and we were playing at the DeSoto Civic Center there in South Haven. And so that, um, you know, that facility was just, they just have ice, uh, very, very much like the Tupelo facility, but the DeSoto Civic Center just keeps ice uh, for the River Kings. And, uh, and so once the River Kings season is over, uh, then the seasonally the ice goes away. And so we're kind of back to square one. So we always were taking our kids up North to hockey camps and stuff. And, and my, my partner, Jack and I just, you know, spent way too many, um, you know, evenings thinking about it and worrying about it and saying, why, why couldn't we get this done? And, and, and I'm a retired commercial general, general contractor and he's a he's an accountant so between the numbers and the and the uh and the actual building knowledge uh, we were able to kind of put it together and and make it happen yeah i've, I've always thought uh especially with ice hockey you know team sports 
um, you know, the mid, the mid South, the state of Mississippi, the deep South, it's such a competitive place. And, and there's, there's so much athleticism down here. I've always thought if, if the right people got exposed to that somehow or another, it would explode in the South. It seems like we've been close uh, a handful of times at three or four, four different cities in Mississippi have had minor league hockey uh, franchises at one point or another, a hurricane took one out. Um, the rodeo knocked another one out or, uh, you know, a Fortune 500 company CEO cooking his books. We can go into that right, later on. Right. Um, well, I, the, I, I the Memphis one has he... been continued to be really good. But uh, tell me about the culture of 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 ice hockey and the ability to get developed traction in the state of Mississippi for youth and 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 athletes to want to go and be able to access uh, ice hockey. Well, it, it's ice hockey is a little different than other sports in that you have to you have to cross the threshold of learning how to skate, and so what we try to do with with uh, our learn to skate and our little predators programs, are we try to teach the kids how to skate while they kind of are under the impression that they're playing hockey, and so it's it's <laughs> kind of a, a little bit of a balance because you know a lot of our um, teachers who teach skating our figure skating coaches. And so we kind of have to put a helmet on them and make them look like they're playing hockey so that these, these kids kind of get that impression. But we also have learned to learn to skate programs for people who don't want to play hockey. But, but that hockey is that one sport where you have to cross that threshold of being able to skate and skate fairly well because you're using your peripheral vision. Uh, You know, you have to keep your head up. And you have to look where you're skating, and you have to look around to see who's skating next to you. And especially as the children get older, and they get into where they're actually checking uh, at, at the um, at the bantam level, where they start checking, um, then you really have to pay attention to what you're doing. Because yeah. once you have the once you have the puck on the end of your stick, then you are a target. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it, it, ice hockey is such a beautiful sport. Um, it's fun to watch on television, but the TV does not, I mean, for as, for as good as it is on TV, it doesn't do the sport any kind of justice at all. It, it's something you have to see uh, in person. But tell us about, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of your youth programs and things like that. Uh, I imagine that's that goes a long way to sustaining uh, the, the the whole the whole situation you got going on up there. Tell us a little oh, bit more about that. Uh, it does. I mean, we have we have, of course, in the hockey field, we have hockey all the way from you know learn to play hockey, uh, all the way through uh, adult league. And in, in in Memphis and the surrounding you know area of Memphis and in North Mississippi, we have a lot of transplants who you know where we might have grown up down south playing you know baseball and. And, and and sports like that that are more traditional baseball football they people up north grew up playing hockey so you've got a lot of transplants and so i would say that at least 60 to 65 percent of our adult league um are are transplants but but we we we're aligned with the predators in nashville for our our learn to play and the nhl across the nation has is dumping a lot of money into learn to play sports programs and they're 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 subsidizing a lot of the cost of the gear so for 125 dollars you get a full set of gear skates helmet pads jersey bag wow, yeah. you know you know it's it's a tremendous but the, that they so they kind of take away that barrier 
that financial barrier that, you know, hockey is a, an equipment-intensive sport. So, you know, they try to take that away. And then we've got a great relationship with the Mississippi River Kings, and uh, they come and practice at our facility a lot. They help out. Um, the boys come over and help out with uh, coaching and, and running some of our clinics. So it's 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 fun for these kids to get to see and be around people who actually are pro players um, at a much much higher level than than a lot of these other youth sports would get to see. All right, so let me ask you about uh, maybe some other stuff that's going on. Uh, Liz mentioned, uh, our producer mentioned curling. Uh, I know that's, it, it seems like every four years when the Olympics comes around, there is a, there's a, a cult following for that sport. And then maybe I want to ask you about uh, figure skating. I don't know if you have any kind of culture for that there or not, but that seems like a thing. Uh, if, if any kind of activity using the ice could transcend uh, you know, some sort of like regional setbacks or things like that, that could be a thing that that could pass over that regional bias or, or whatever you want to call it. Tell me a, a little bit about maybe what you have going on with curling, ice skating, other things going on than just... Well, the, 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 the figure skating is fascinating. Of course, the figure skating goes way back. I mean, it's, it's really older than hockey. And we do have um, five or six really you know, good certified higher level coaches. And, uh, we probably have, oh, 45 to 50, um, uh, youth, uh, figure skaters that compete regionally and they, they, you know, they compete and go to different places and, and enter these competitions. Uh, and they, they, uh, it takes a lot of practice. I mean, you, you just have no idea these, these people come to the rink at, at dawn and do things before school. They they have to, you know, sacrifice so much time because it is such a sport that this takes an incredible amount of practice to learn. I mean, they when you see it in the Olympics, it's unless you've really been around it, it's it's hard to to think that the, this this person who's competing that you know in the olympics that, that it all comes down to two and a half minutes yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but but curling is a is a great is a great sport i mean that's a uh a 400 500 year sport that is originally from scotland um we've got a very uh great core group of guys that curl uh at the ice house um a lot of them are from canada grew up curling um, our curling master is originally from Milwaukee, and he was a member of a curling club in Milwaukee that was started and, and has been continuously curling since 1835. So that wow. kind of shows what a what a what an old sport it is. But it's it they they call curling chess on ice. So it's a little bit like shuffleboard. It's a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very kind of arcane rules, and, and of course, everything has uh, a lot of interesting, um, you know, um, uh, words and associations that go with it. And, uh, and and oddly enough, there's a lot of yelling and curling because, <laughs> you know, if you watch it on the Olympics, they those professionals don't quite yell as much, but I guess they do. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating. I actually curl, and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, preparation goes in to the ice to where you can take these these uh, 43 pound stones 
and push them down the ice by hand. Uh, so it's it's really uh, it's a lot of a lot of teamwork involved and a lot of strategy. But it's a fascinating sport. And yes, uh, this time of the year, when with the Olympics coming up in February, the interest in curling and and all the all the ice sports uh, uh, go through a dramatic phase of a lot of people wanting to to ask questions and get involved. Well, if uh, if folks want to follow along with uh, the Ice House on social media, call for maybe the programs or leagues that you have going on, anything like that, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I mean, we've got a great website, midsouthicehouse.com. We're on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we, we put our schedules up there every day. And, of course, this time of the year we're just extremely busy because we've got Christmas, and I think people in the South associate Christmas with ice skating. So we have a, a number of people that come uh, this time of year and get their ice skating in. And, and that's, as I said earlier, uh, that's when I always remind them that we're there year round. And don't forget that when it's hotter than blazes outside, <laughs> that you can come and, and, uh, and, and be, be in a, a, a full size NHL rink, uh, with it being 52 degrees. So it's, 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 it's a nice breath. And, you know, another thing about, you know, ice sports is they, you never get rained out unless the Zamboni breaks down, Jay. I mean, we, we're, we're, we always, we always go off on time. That's right. That's right. Uh, man, thank you so much for your time this morning, Al. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we wish you all the best and continued success with the, uh, the ice house there. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas to you. Absolutely. You the same. Al Austin, one of the owners of the Mid-South Ice House in Olive Branch. Good to hear about that stuff right there. Um, I, you know, I, I, I got to admit, I, I haven't even begun to be able to skate. But like, it's, it's like any kind of skating. I can't, I can't ride a skateboard for more than about two feet without breaking my neck. It's, I don't know what it is. And I've played sports my whole life. It's not that I don't have the coordination or, you know, at least a little bit of the athleticism required. I'm not saying I'm Bo Jackson or anything here, but man. Put me on some wheels, and I got to balance myself. I mean, I can ride a bike. I can ride a bike. I've ridden a bike before. Stop laughing. We're going to take a break. All right, when we come back, we are going to have a historic figure in Mississippi sports history. That's all coming up on MPB Season Pass right after this timeout. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you again for listening this Thursday morning. Not often you get to talk to a history maker, but we have one of those on the show right now. Kendall Terrell is the kicker. She is the kicker for the Hattiesburg High School football team. And uh, she recently made some history by becoming the first female to score points in an MHSAA state football championship game. Uh, not the first female to score points. There have been uh, um, a handful of female kickers on high school football teams. I think the first was six or seven years ago. 
Um, and so I'm not sure about that. So I'm not going to go down that road. But first to score points in a in a state championship game. Of course, those are on TV across the state. And we welcome in Kendall now. Kendall, thank you so much for your time. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we, we really appreciate uh, you coming today. I know uh, it's right before Christmas. You've probably got a lot of uh, you know midterms or something like that. Um, or what do you call it? I guess it's just exams for the end of the first half of school, but uh, whatever. Um, tell me about what was there kind of a media crunch on you after scoring points in the championship game and people realized that was the first time a female had scored points? How, how has that been uh, the last couple of weeks since the end of football season? Well, it's kind of been exciting because, like, I didn't know that I did it. And so I just came off the field and everybody was hugging me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's just another extra point. I didn't realize what I did. I was like, okay. What are y'all doing? <laughs> right. And But it was exciting because so many cameras were in my face. And I was just like, wait, what just happened? And then when someone finally told me, I was like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> So, you know, I was just kind of shocked, you know. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you about the decision, the initial decision uh, to go out for football. What was the thought process behind that, and did you have any reservations about it? Well, my freshman year, I was like, Dad, you going to play football? And, like, my dad was like, no. <laughs> he, he, was automatically, <laughs> he was automatically a no. But then my sophomore year came around, and I was just like, okay, Dad, I'm, I'm going to kick, uh, kick the football. You have no choice. <laughs> so I kicked it. I was just like, oh, this is actually pretty easy. And then one day I was out there kicking the ball, and uh, Coach Vance came out there. He was like, they, you know, they kind of peeked back a little bit. I, I just kept doing it. So I was just like, okay. <laughs> and he came over, and he was like, kick it again. I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, kick it again. I was like, okay. And then he put some uh, – he put the O-line in front of me, I guess you could call it. And uh, I was like, are you serious? You want me to kick it now? He was like, yeah, kick it again. So he just kept moving it back, and I was just like, all right. And so the next day, I guess I was on the team. <laughs> let me, look, let me tell you something. I, and and, and on, on my sports radio show, I've done this rant many times. There are some high school teams at high schools that have 1,500 students, and they can't find a person to kick a 30-foot extra point. And it's cost teams championships before, and I'm dumbfounded how sometimes humongous schools with all these people can't find somebody to kick a ball in the air 30 feet in front of them. But, I mean, that Tony Vance, who's, who's done a remarkable job turning around the high school football program, that shows you how important it is. And, and that, that, that's awesome that he had the eye to see you kicking over there, and then all of a sudden he's like, yes, I've got myself a kicker now. <laughs> right. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about Coach Vance and, uh, and the the relationship you have with him and 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 you know him being a part of the football team that you come on to. Well, he was very um, like open about it. Like he he didn't look at me like I was a girl. He looked at me like, oh, she can kick, you know. So he like invited me into his world, well, the football world, and I was just like. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so different. I'm not going to be used to it. It's going to go. All, it's going to fail. It's going to go downhill. But he really opened my heart to accept football, you know. And he didn't make it seem like I wasn't a part of the team. He made it seem like that I fit right in. And whenever I need to do something, he'll be right there to tell me what to do. And like he, he was basically the father of all of us. One daughter and seventy <laughs> sons, you know. But he was very. Um, nice about him he was kind and I, I liked the feeling like he made it a great experience so let me ask you about this football is I mean that's it is a macho sport 
machismo, testosterone, all this kind of stuff. Tip of the cap to your pop, because if my daughter asked me, can I go out for the football team? The first thing I'm thinking about is, oh, man, no, just like your dad was. Um, you know, I don't want to kill your dreams or anything, but I'm also looking out for your safety at the same time. So tell me about um, you coming onto the football team and the, the, the guys, essentially, as you mentioned, you know, one daughter and 70 sons. How, how did the guys go about embracing you and, and bringing you into that, that social club? Because that's their life. You know, for football players, it's, it's, it's most of everything that they do and spend their time on. And so you coming in there, how did they bring you into the team? Well, they were they were really supportive too, actually. So like one day I was kicking out there, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, y'all look, Kendall can kick!" And everybody was just like, "We have to tell Coach Coach Vance." You know, they were joking around with the I guess Pasky here was like, "She can kick better than you." <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> right? I was just like, "Oh, okay, that's that's a little harsh," but um, they were really accepting too. Like, it's the best experience a girl can have. Like, for all the girls in the world, really. If you literally look at the sport, you don't see, uh, once you get into it, you don't see, oh, it's a bunch of boys, they're going to try to hurt you, da-da-da-da. You really see it's a, it's like a really good experience to be in a boys' sport, you know, and to experience a really good time. And, like, they will keep you laughing, rolling. And I, I would like to say this, they were the best group of boys that I could experience this with, honestly. That's awesome. That's great to hear. And that – I think that again, that kind of points back to the 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 atmosphere uh, that the coaches, the coaching staff, Tony Vance and his staff set up with the program there. That said, that speaks a lot to what they're doing with the Hattiesburg High School football program. So, um, let me ask you about how you work to get better, your skills, and, and and what you do to practice and improve. I know you just don't show up every day and hey, I'm the girl kicker. I can start signing autographs now. You actually. <laughs> You actually try, you know, to be better and get better at what you're doing. So what goes into, you know, your practice routine? Well, um, I actually have a class period of football, and it's six periods. And I go out, uh, go out to the football field with my friend. His, his name is Gaden Hiss. And we usually do some drills. He's always, you know, he's always like, come on, Kendall, you got to do it. You just can't be slacking off. <laughs> you're a part of the team, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, he would always continue to, like, hype me up, be very supportive, and teach me some of the skills he he's learned. And um, he showed me a lot. So did Khalil Pope. He he was the one that actually showed me how to kick in the first place. But, uh, yeah, so I used to go out every sixth period. And um, then after school, I would kick, like, from 4.30 to 5, maybe. And uh, we would just run drills, really. And it's like a constant thing. You have to constantly do it. You just can't go out there and kick the ball. So let me ask you this. Have you tried to talk the coaches into allowing you to play something else? Man, if, if the quarterback is having a bad day, uh, <laughs> coach, let me sling that actually, ball around. I can do this. Actually, I have talked to, uh, talked to him about doing something else. Like one game, I was so frustrated. I thought we were going to lose. I was like, put me in the game. Put me in the game. <laughs> put me on the field. And then I talked to him about playing tidy next year. But, you know, all my uncles are like, no. <laughs> all my uncles are saying no. But I want to try something else. You know, I'm tired of just sitting on the sidelines waiting for everybody else to score and me just to kick one lousy ball, you know, for extra <laughs> points. <laughs> so have you come to a point in a game where uh, you, you've really felt what the life of a kicker is? A kicker is a vitally important part of a football team, but 
more so than even the quarterback, who's the guy that touches the ball in every offensive play. The kicker really has, with every single movement on the field, it's kind of a make or break thing, and it's it's um, it's a it's a very it's it's far more mental than I think a lot of people understand. You're, you're the hero, the goat, with almost every swing of your leg. Have you have you dealt with some of that pressure yet? Um, honestly, okay, I can talk about the two point conversion I had this year. Okay. Um, <laughs> so like, okay, it was a high snap, and it was planned to go to the right, and so out of nowhere, he turns left and he throws it to me. So I'm just like, okay, you either catch it and score, or you just let it drop, and everybody's gonna look at you like, oh man, you, you got it next time. So I was just like, okay, stick your arms out and catch the ball. So I tried. That's what I did. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I just got a two-point conversion. You know, I felt really apart because it was so exciting. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's – you did, right? You were a receiver on that play, so you have done more than just kick. So that's – there you go. So let me ask you this. You got a 4.0 GPA. Is that correct? Kind of. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, still, I mean, so you play volleyball, soccer, and track and field also, and softball? Okay, so um, where are you making extra hours in the day? Because I, that, there's not enough to do all of that. Uh, you can't. That's are you? Do you have like a machine that adds extra hours when other people are sleeping? How do you do all that? How do you how do you balance all that? Well, I like to stay busy. I like to constantly do something. So like when it's volleyball, say it's a volleyball game, I'll just have to skip practice for football. But if it's a football game, so like. Say Thursday, I usually have a volleyball game. So, and that's when they usually do walkthroughs, and Friday is when the game is. So, I'll have to do something Wednesday, you know? And it's like, it all kind of fits. Like, from volleyball to football to soccer, softball, track, powerlifting, it just all kind of works, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and all, all I really have time to do is take a shower, eat, and sleep, really. <laughs> and I don't mind that, you know? And I know your academics. There, there's no chance that you could slack on academics. Because correct, your mom is a is a instructor at the school. Yeah, she's a chemistry teacher, yes, sir. Oh, and chemistry at that. Oh my goodness, <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. I uh, probably could, but uh, all right. So <laughs> this this has been an an, an amazing and incredible story. I, I do want to ask you about uh, your father, Clement, who's a former Southern Miss player. Uh, ran Hattiesburg Parks and Rec for the last 16 years. He passed away, for folks who don't know, just a couple of minutes or a couple of days before the championship game that uh, you made this history. How much of that was running through your mind uh, in the game when when you found out? I know you weren't thinking about that, didn't know about it when you just went in and did your job. But afterwards, when when folks brought it to your attention that you had made this history, how much did his past and his legacy uh, come into your heart and your mind when when that happened? Well, like, uh, thinking about it, I don't know. I had, like, a happy overload. Like, I felt him on me because there's no way I was that happy. Like, I just couldn't stop smiling. Like, everybody was in tears, and I just had, like, this joy on my face. I was just like, there's no way I'm this happy. So, you know, I felt him there. It's like he was there with me, like, oh, my gosh, you just made history, you know, doing our little dance, you know, just something something little. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, now that he's passed, and, you know, we've been talking about it for a while, that he wants me to get his number 40. And, like, he's always wanting me to – he was like, now you got to represent me. I was like, bro, you have to live up to the legacy. I was just like, oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, thanks. That's so, fantastic. Um, right. Now, uh-huh. uh, now all I really want to do is do everything for him, you know. Absolutely. 
have they asked you to punt yet? Have you have you tried punting? That's a whole different animal, I understand. I've tried it in practice before, and, you know, like from punting the soccer ball to punting the football, it's kind of different. Maybe yeah. it's just a lot. You know, yeah, just football's lot. got those wobbly edges. It's weird. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, honestly, let's just see what the future holds, you know. Absolutely. Uh, 61 extra points this season was first team all-region at Hattiesburg High School. The Tigers 14-1 uh, and one on the season. South 5A state champions. Uh, Kendall, thank you so much for your time. An amazing story, and uh, I could just tell by uh, you know your energy that your story is not even close to being finished uh, written yet. So thanks for coming on again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, well, we'll take a timeout when we come back. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what has been uh, going on this week. Uh, it is uh, the first early signing period uh, for college football. Started yesterday. And, uh, of course, folks going to lose their mind about that a little bit. We can talk about that. And, of course, there's a, a lot of events going on around the state of Mississippi. Liz and I will talk about that when we come back. Awesome conversation right there. There need to be more Kendall Terrell stories in this world. We'll take a break. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. I'm Jay White here with producer Liz Gill. And um, there's a lot of stuff going on here over the next few weeks. It is um, the holiday season. It's a lot of kids are going to be out of school. Folks are going to be off work. That's a good thing. There are some ways to uh, pass your time if you get bored. Uh, and um, the, one of the big things, one of the coolest, and there are, there are holiday high school basketball tournaments all over the state of Mississippi. Uh, one of the biggest ones is the uh, the Pepsi Jackson Public Schools Holiday Basketball Tournament. It's going to be going on December 26th through the 28th. Uh, more than 400 student athletes from 28 boys and girls schools will participate. A total of 35 games will be played. And uh, they have sportsmanship and MVP awards that are given out at the end of uh, each winner's bracket game. Uh, to a player from the losing and winning teams. Our co-worker, Michelle McAdoo, was talking about how she was excited about taking her daughter, who plays middle school basketball, yeah. to go watch some of these games. Absolutely. It's going to be, uh, there are going to be three sites, uh, Lanier High School, Murrah High School, and Forest Hill High School. Uh, if you've followed any kind of high school basketball over the last 40 or 50 years, um, or had... Uh, a kid or, an, or a relative that played in some South or state championship games. You've probably been to the, the gym, the Shelby Bailey Coliseum at Forest Hill High School. It is one of the cool and unique 
high school sports venues in the state of Mississippi. It is um, it is um, it is a real coliseum. It is not your typical square gym with pullout bleachers and stuff like that. It is a show enough for real basketball arena uh, that seats about twenty five hundred. And it's an awesome place to watch uh, some hoops. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, Farstella hosts the tournament semifinals and finals on December the 28th. A couple of bowl games. Uh, Southern Miss will take on Florida State. That's a high-profile matchup for them. That's the Walk-On's Independence Bowl. That'll be at Independence Stadium in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, that's December 27th, 1.30 p.m. start time on that game. And then Mississippi State will take on Louisville. Uh, both those teams are 8-4. and four. Mississippi State is ranked 23rd. They have an opportunity to finish in the top 25 with a win there. That's December 30th at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on ESPN Television. I and, still uh, miss the Poulon Weed Eater Bowl. <laughs> the Poulon Weed Eater Independence Bowl. It's been the Sharpie Independence Bowl. And let me tell you something. Um, having worked in the media for a long time now, more there there have never been a bigger group of more geeked writers than when Sharpie sponsored the Independence Bowl because all of the media got like these these Sharpie packs. It was like a Sharpie gift pack, and everybody was bouncing off the walls. I just remember guys going on and on and on about how great that was. I'm pr- I'd like a weed eater. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah, the Walk-Ons, who is the current sponsor, I believe is a it's a family-styled bar and grill uh, that is um, – uh, at least owned or financed by Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints quarterback. So there you go. Uh, don't have one of those uh, here in central Mississippi. I uh, wonder if, uh, I guess they have one at Treeport, I suppose. Uh, but that, the Mississippi State game is going to be Everbank Field in Jacksonville. Um, very interesting. So a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I, I mentioned in passing that signing day was yesterday. Uh, I've heard some people say they don't like it. I do like it, and here's the reason why. There are a lot of fringe. If you're just a general college football fan, it's easy to understand uh, how signing day works for the highest-rated players, but not all of the players are the highest-rated players. There are a lot of guys that are fringe guys that have offers from maybe a Division II school and a JUCO. And let's say if your goal is to play at a Division I school, and you have an offer between a D2 and a JUCO, you have to make that decision. Am I going to commit to playing four years at a D2 and miss my dream? Do I go to a JUCO and try to play myself up into a D1 offer in two years? There's a lot of different ways that that can play out. Uh, NAIA offers and and Division three offers also. And sometimes you can have a group of five different guys who are all getting offers from Division one schools. And the way it used to work with just the one signing period, let's say the guy interested in school one gets shut out because school one at the very last minute goes in another direction. Well, guy A drops down to school two, and they take him. School three grabs guy B. And anyway, you get down to the fifth guy, and all of a sudden he's left out. He's shut out. He's got nowhere to go. And now he has to, in panicked quick time, without time to think it over, or discuss it with his parents, or mull over it, or pray about it, or anything, he's got to quickly go into plan B mode and decide where he's going to spend the next two to four years of his life, not just athletically, but also academically. It's a very difficult thing to do. Having two signing periods can eliminate a lot of that. 
and it allows more people to have more time to make better decisions for the future of their playing career and their academics and the rest of their lives. So uh, I'm very glad that we have the two signing periods for football now. Uh, thanks to Liz Gill for setting up this awesome show and our great guests for coming on today. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.